0: Okay, so this is, this is now our final Bible class lesson in this biblical interpretation class for a few reasons. Number one, it's a basics of Bible interpretation class, so keeping it short, I had originally planned to have us walk through every genre of scripture and get into all of the particulars of that, but I think that might get a little bit too complicated and drawn out. So I'm going to end this class today with a lesson on application. So how do we move from interpreting to applying the Bible? Uh, the, another factor for shortening this class by a lot is that next Sunday during the Bible class hour, there will be a guy named Louis Guest who will be with us in Bible class. And I'm just going to interview him about his life and Jubilee Community Church. It's a church in Minneapolis that we're Somewhat connected to you through various relationships. So the Mowers have family members who are up there. I've known Lewis for a little while. So in Bible class next week, we'll have Lewis guest here, and then he's going to preach during the morning service. And then the following week is our Bible conference. A guy named Mitchell Holly will be teaching on uh, the Christian imagination. So that'll be. Bible class, Sunday morning, and then Monday night next week. So our Bible class is naturally broken up anyway. And then I teach for two weeks, and then Josh and Brian Cameron are teaching through the Apostles' Creed over the next eight weeks. So it kind of made sense to end our Bible interpretation class with this lesson. Uh, So I have two kind of back-to-back weeks in April where I'll teach Bible class, and uh, that's TBA, but I think it's, we'll do a contemporary issue thing. So there are two options and I just need to confirm with Josh and Steve on what I'll do. Uh, so, so this is the last last Bible interpretation class. All right. So for some of you, you're breathing a sigh of relief because I've pushed you in certain areas and you're ready for, for a break. Uh, for others of you, maybe this is your jam and, and you would have liked to keep going. But I, I wanted to end with interpretation to application uh, you know I, I also want to make a clarification here in in this class I have given out a lot of resources and pushed us to think in different ways about certain things and my expectation is not that everyone uses all of those resources or is doing everything that I might do in prepping for a sermon um, when I'm just reading the Bible on the on the daily, I, I don't do all of the kind of work that I put in for a sermon, okay? So I don't want you to imagine that um, it's down to a science and you should be following precise steps all along the way. What I do want to communicate is that as you've been in this class and as you've heard things that maybe you haven't thought about before or been exposed to resources you haven't used before, I just encourage you to identify what it would look like for you to take the next step in your abilities in biblical interpretation. So for some of you, that might look like buying your very first study Bible. And I'd be happy to make a recommendation. And you can look at some study Bible notes as you study the Bible. For others of you, you might pick up that Bible backgrounds commentary that I, I showed one week. Or for others of you, it might look like picking up one of those urban legends of the Old Testament or New Testament and just look at various texts that maybe you've misinterpreted or heard about incorrectly. Whatever it looks like, the goal isn't for you to become the mass or biblical interpreter by tomorrow. It's just to keep taking step by step, running deeper into the Bible. I just wouldn't want anyone to run away from the Bible because you think you have to be perfect at interpreting it right away. Does, does that make sense? Okay. Final reminder, the four C's. Whenever you're reading the Bible, read it in light of the Christ event, who Jesus is, what he's done. Uh, Read it with the goal of charity, with loving God and loving other people. Read it in community. Talk about the Bible with other people. um, Utilize the Bible tools that we have. And then finally, read it with a sense of curiosity. Ask Questions about the text. Don't assume that you know everything about the text. Pay attention to the details. Be curious about what's going on. If if you keep those four things in mind whenever you open the Bible, you'll read the Bible really, really well. Okay. All right. Um, any questions or comments before we start on application? Okay. Here we go. I want to start with a quote by this guy named Haddon Robinson. Have any of you heard of Haddon Robinson? He's sort of this, like, hyper-popular preacher guy. Like, if you want the expert on preaching, this is the guy who writes about it. He said this, More heresy is preached in application than in biblical exegesis. I think that's probably true. I I think the way that we apply the text can tend to communicate more contra-biblical ideas than even poor interpretation of the Bible. Uh, often when we're interpreting the Bible, we, we might get the right truths just from the wrong text. You know, that happens all the time. But when it comes to application, often people misapply the Bible, and worse, they assign God's authority to their misapplication of the Bible. And, and that can be really harmful to people. Sometimes it's more innocuous than others, but often misapplications of the Bible are what hurt Christians more than anything else. Um, Either because it causes them to put their hope in something that's not true, or it places on their conscience an undue burden, you know, requiring them to live in a particular way that God's not calling them to live, or it pushes them to defend something that God never wants them to defend. Uh, so we need to be really careful with our application. All right, um, I want to identify four dangers when it comes to applying the Bible four dangers. Um, I've, I've hinted at them already. The first is the danger of misplaced authority. So sometimes when we apply the Bible, we act as if our application is as authoritative as the Bible itself. So sometimes when we're applying the Bible, we talk about it as if that's God's word for everybody. And, and that's really probably not true. Even when it comes to right applications, some applications are more authoritative than other applications. So the authority, the strength of the authority of our application is usually on a spectrum from pretty weak and tangential to actually the application is doing precisely what the Bible says. Okay, So we have to keep that in mind when we're applying the Bible. Not all applications are equally authoritative. Um, Second... There's the danger of improper applications. So sometimes we apply the Bible in a way that is not um, fitting with the interpretation of the text. So sometimes we'll say this text says that we should do blank when the biblical author would never in a million years want you to be doing blank based on that text. Um, Or it's just like you're finding a way to make a verse say what you want it to say so that you can do what you want to do already. So this is an example I read about. Uh, I read an example of this lady who had an opportunity to take a job in Hawaii. And so she was reading the Bible and she read the text where people were laying palm branches out before Jesus as he goes into Jerusalem. And so she starts making this association between Hawaii and tropical trees. And then later, Um, when she got into the car, she heard like this Hawaiian music on the radio, and she took that as an application of, God wants me to take this job in Hawaii. So she put divine authority on her application to take a job in Hawaii. Now, what's the danger there? Well, on one level, it could just be innocuous. It doesn't matter. But on another level, this lady is now saying, God is calling me to go to Hawaii. And applying divine authority to her decision. What if, like, that's actually, a, by any objective measurement, a really bad idea? And her parents, her fellow church members, her friends are all saying, look, this is, this is a dumb idea for all of these reasons, but she's got the trump card of, well, God is telling me to do this. If I'm applying the text. It, we can do that in a bunch of ways that are really not, not right or helpful. So there's a the danger of improper application. Third, there's the danger of boundless application. Um, I think sometimes Christians read the Bible, and they have a right desire to want to obey it, and they think that every verse has to apply to some aspect of their life. But the truth is that not every verse will apply to every situation. That's not how the Bible works. The Bible, every, every line of the Bible doesn't speak to every moment of your life. That, that might sound bad, but it's actually very true, and we need to get grasped at. Not every verse of Scripture applies to every moment of your life. Sometimes you'll read a passage in the Bible, and there will be no relevant, immediate application for what you should go and do. And that's okay. Don't force it. Don't, don't pursue this boundless realm of application. Um, the The final danger that I want to mention is that when we use the term application, we might think that we need to take a verse of the Bible and itemize it and fit it into our life somehow. We need to take it as a little nugget and fit it into our lives wherever it's convenient and squish it up into whatever contorted way it needs to be to fit where we want it to fit. When instead, we ought to be shaping our lives to the larger message of the Bible. So so we shouldn't take a little nugget of scripture and force it into our lives. Instead, we should shape our lives by the Bible. So I like to, I don't really like the term application, even though I'm gonna use it the rest of the day. I'd prefer to talk about our response to the text, how we enter into the text in our how we should be shaped by it, not how we should shape the text and fit it into our lives. Now that of course would be misunderstanding what everyone means when they talk about applying the Bible, but that's often what we end up doing. We try to take the little nugget that's convenient for us and apply it to our life. Like we would when we go into the app store on our phone and we download the app that we want to help us live our best life now. We try to make the Bible do that and we call it application. No, that's not what I mean by application. I want us to respond to the text. Um, There are these guys, uh, Duval and Hayes, who wrote a book called Grasping God's Word. And I think they have a good paragraph about applying the Bible. They say, You will have to make the actual application as you yield to the Holy Spirit, rely on the power of prayer, and receive help from other Christians. God certainly wants us to know biblical principles and valid ways of living out those principles, but his ultimate goal is in communicating with us is to transform our thinking and acting so that we are conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. When we come to the point of truly grasping God's Word, we will find God's word grasping us. In the end, it's much more than just applying the Bible to our lives. It's about adjusting and conforming our lives to the Bible. I think that last sentence is key. It's, it's not just about applying the Bible to our lives, but it's about adjusting and conforming our lives to the message of the Bible. All right, so the, I think those are some key dangers that we have to be aware of when it comes to applying the Bible. And any questions or comments on, on that? Okay, I'll keep going. All right, I want to talk about three general areas of biblical application. And I, I have an eyelash that is pestering my eye. So if I start crying out of one eye, you'll know that it's not like I'm just emotionally moved about biblical application. But you can think that if you want to. It's just I've got a, a thing in my eye. Um, sometimes when we talk about applying the Bible, we, we are just looking for a checklist of things to do after we've read the Bible. And that's a really narrow way of thinking about application. I, I want to emphasize three areas of application, um, and we could talk about them in different ways. We could talk about them in you know, preferred theological terminology as orthodoxy, orthopathy, and orthopraxy. So if you like those, hold on to that. Um, if you like visual images, think about head, heart, and hands. Um, if you just like explicit words... Um, We we apply the Bible in our thinking, in our loving, and then in our doing, okay? Whatever way speaks to you, you should have those three fields of application in mind. And some texts will fall squarely in one or another of those fields, but often they're generally interrelated and one will have precedence, okay? Uh, So when we read the Bible, sometimes we just need to change the way we think about something or what we believe, you know, our statement of faith. That That's what needs to change. So for example, in the sermon that I'm going to preach this morning, one of the main fields of application is how you're thinking about the gospel. Not necessarily what you're doing, or maybe even loving, but what you're thinking. Um, sometimes though, the texts of scripture primarily are just drawing our affections in a particular direction. It's, it's helping us love what God loves and hate what God's God hates, or to love people. You know, it's, it's an affectional love heart kind of application. Um, so if, if you're reading a text about um, God's compassion on the poor, it, it may have like an immediate, I need to go out and do something, but it might really just be an altering of your affections. So you stop looking at poor people in a negative light and you start looking at them in a compassionate light. So it's an adjusting of the affections that will lead to action, you know. But then at other times, um, you just have to adjust your action and eventually your love and your heart will catch up to it. Um, so if you're, if you're in the midst of an adulterous affair and you read a text that addresses don't commit adultery, it doesn't matter if you start not loving adultery right away or not, or it doesn't matter if you think, well, we're in the modern time and adultery is really accepted. You need to just stop doing first. That's the primary application, and it will filter backwards into your loving and your thinking. Uh, You see what I mean? Different fields, one often takes, you know, primacy, but they're usually interrelated. Okay, Um, I I like to stress this because sometimes I get a little self-defensive when I'm preaching. Sometimes people will be like, hey, you're not applying the text to me. Like, well, first of all, it's hard to get specific for every person. But also, like, if you're only thinking application means tell me what I need to go do, you're missing two vital aspects of what it is to be a Christian, which is thinking rightly and loving rightly. Uh, There's also doing, but that's not the only realm. So maybe you'll understand My sermon application's a little better because of of these comments. All right. Now I want to talk about the application... Well, any questions on that before I move on to the application process? Okay. I, I want to suggest that you can't really just read a text of Scripture and then automatically know what the application is. I think if we're going to really respect the Bible, we need to take the time to understand it and move towards application. So there's a a broad move from interpretation to application, uh, but it breaks down a little bit more. So I want to identify five steps, and then on step number five, three subsections to that step that will help you apply the Bible better. First, you need to identify the author's communicative intent. All this means is you need to interpret the text focusing on what the original author was trying to communicate. What was the original meaning of the text? And, and I would recommend writing a, a one or two sentence summary about the original meaning of the text. Um, this text meant, and, and you should use past tense because to force you to think original, back in the day. This text meant that blank, okay? Um, and, and then as you establish the text's original meaning, or as close to it as we can get, then you need to identify the author's desired application for the original audience. So now you're thinking, okay, what did the biblical author want his original audience to do? How were they supposed to apply the text? It's hard to know how we should apply it if we can't imagine how they were supposed to apply it. So so if you're like using a pad of paper, you might write out, sentence on this is what the text meant and here are three or four conceivable ideas of what the biblical author wanted the original audience to do in response to the text or to love or to think in response to the text so you could write out this sentence the original audience should apply this text by blank okay so framing it completely in the past all right these two steps clear Author's meeting, original audiences, application. We've got to get really clear on those things. We're making those very concrete. After those two concrete steps, we move to making it a little bit more abstract, okay? So, so if this is what it meant, and this is what they're supposed to do or think or love, what are the general, what are the abstract truths or principles that underlie that action or thinking or loving? Okay? We'll, we'll get to an example later on, so if, you're, if it, you're having trouble tracking, hold on. But we want to abstract it. Uh, what's, what's the principle? What's the general truth here? Outside of removing it from the context, what's so the general truth that's been identified? And then you have to keep going. You can't just say, okay, here's the general truth. You now need to say, okay, and what does, what's the relevance of this truth in light of the rest of the Bible's teaching? You, you can't look at that truth or principle in an isolated way. You need to see how it fits in with the rest of the teaching on the Bible. Otherwise, your application will still go askew. Okay? Well, I'll, I'll give an example of this later on. Um, or in my favorite terminology, your application could become problematic if, if you only look at that text or truth in isolation from the rest of the Bible. You need to filter it through its cultural and covenantal um, context the advent of Christ, these sorts of things. Okay, so so then you need to move from this general principle and truth as identified in its fitting with the rest of Scripture, and, and then you need to identify, how does this truth or principle relate to my contemporary world, like where I am? So now you're getting concrete again. So you, so what you have to do in these substeps is you need to look for genuinely comparable situations, So something that is genuinely comparable to what the author was addressing. And then you move from that genuinely comparable situation down to specific, concrete, action, thinking, loving. So to, to rehearse, interpret the text, author's intent. Next, how did the author want his audience to apply this text? Next, what are the general truths or principles and... How do they fit with the rest of the scripture? And then finally, what genuinely comparable situations are in my life and world where this principle or truth applies? And then you go deeper now to the specific concrete action, thought, or heart patterns that need to change. Okay. Does that broader movement make sense? Okay. I, I want to say a couple words about genuinely comparable situations, though. Because because that's where it can get tricky. Sometimes we read the texts of scripture and we we identify a parallel situation in the modern world that on its surface is genuinely comparable. But when you actually start looking at the details of the two, they're really quite different situations. And, and we can't um, say that it's the same thing. We, we can't match them up because they don't actually fit. Uh, and even when it comes to genuinely comparable situations, some comparisons are stronger than others. Some are closer to that situation than others are, which means that our application can be stronger and more authoritative than when it's weaker. Uh, so let me give the example here that I used in our uh, Bible doctrine and conscience division class. When we talked about Romans 14 and 15, um, or, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 8 through 11. Remember, Paul is talking to people who are eating meat in idol temples, and he's telling them, don't do that, but you can eat the meat in your home even if it was sacrificed previously to an idol. But if someone says, hey, this meat has been designated to an idol, then you can't eat of it anymore, even if it's in your home. Well, when we're trying to apply that, you know, that text to our lives, we have to come up with a genuinely comparable situation. A lot of people will find a superficial, superficially comparable situation and say something like um, you know I'll I'll use an example from my childhood you should not go into a movie theater to watch a movie because someone might not know what you're watching but you may get a movie from the video rental store and watch it in your home because there will be less questions and you have more control over the the movie that you're watching but if you have someone else in your home um, you probably shouldn't watch a movie Do you see how there's like a superficially parallel situation going on there? Temple, movie theater. Meet, movie. Um, In your home, not in your home. Superficially, that's a parallel situation. But when you actually attend to all the details, it breaks down very quickly. But, But the application to that text that I was taught was taught as if it was God's word. Like, don't ever go to a movie theater to watch a movie. And and then, weirdly, as I got older and the fundamentalist world I was in, I guess shifted a little, you could go into an IMAX movie theater, but not a different kind of movie theater. So, all all I'm trying to say is I, you know, as a hyper-rebellious teenager, went with my friends on Christmas break to watch uh, Lord of the Rings release and felt guilty for like months because I went into a movie theater and I was disobeying the Bible. Well, should I have disobeyed my parents? No. But should I have felt guilty for being in a movie theater? No. So we, we don't want to draw superficially parallel situations. Now, a genuinely comparable situation, I think, is we have in St. Paul one of the largest buddhist temples in the northern hemisphere or in the north in north america and there's at their meals they offer their food up to an idol and if your buddhist neighbor invited you to this or sorry why am i saying buddhist hindu neighbor invited you to a meal there you probably have to say no i think that's a modern day application of the text just like Paul's Corinthian listeners would have had to tell their business partners and friends and relatives, no, I can't go into the temple and have this feast celebrating your birthday with this meat offered tonight. So that, I think, is a genuinely comparable situation. Now, as I mentioned previously, not every text is equally applicable to every situation. So it's not every day that you can apply 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 to your life. It just isn't. Okay, does... Do you see how that genuine and false parallel situations kind of works itself out? All right. After you do that, and if you've identified some specific concrete applications of a text to your life, I I would recommend and propose that there are two more important steps. First, I think you ought to consult with other Christians about the way you're applying the text. Don't come up with applications in isolation. Involve other people in the way that you're applying a text. Other people may have information about that text or ideas or perspectives that will help you better understand that text in the contemporary situation. Talk with other people. Talk with your pastors. Talk with your spouse. Talk with other Christians. Get other input into the way that you ought to apply the Bible. And then finally... Think you ought to appeal to the Holy Spirit in prayer, not only to help you know how to apply the text, but also to enable you to live out that text in your life. So it's not a you know purely human endeavor to apply the Bible. We need the aid of the Holy Spirit. This is what I think it gets at when Paul talks about those who are not spiritual don't understand spiritual things. It's not that they can't grasp concepts or interpret texts, but they, they aren't able to truly live out those texts in an appropriate fashion apart from the Holy Spirit. So we ought to appeal to God to enable us to live out his work. That just makes sense. It's almost so basic as to not need to be said, but it's a basics of biblical interpretation class, and we all need those reminders. All right. And any comments or questions along the way before we um, look at a couple of case studies? Sure. Yeah, so I'll use this movie theater example. So what what do we do when the authorities in our lives are suggesting that God says an application that after we go through this process just doesn't fit with the text? Well, if I could go back and if I were my Parents, pastor from back in the day, and they asked me about this. I I would want to say something to my parents like this, and maybe parents in here can apply this to your lives. Um, It's okay to have family rules without attaching a Bible verse to it. And if you start attaching a Bible verse to it, you better make sure that it actually fits. Otherwise, you're not only going to teach your kids to misread the Bible, but also you're you're, I would say, taking God's name in vain. You're invoking God's name to add authority to what you're doing when you don't need to. Instead, say, you know what, kid? Like, this is our family rule, and there are other families in our church that don't follow this rule, but I I, I think this is best for you and our family, and and that's all that this is. And someday, when you're a certain age and we start giving you more you know, liberty to make your own decisions. Maybe even while you're still in our house will allow you to do that. But right now, this is our family rule. I, I think that's a good way for parents to navigate, a, you know, ways they want their kids to live when they don't have a genuine Bible verse to apply to it. If you do that, then you'll make it way easier for your kids not ever to have to say, my parents don't know what God wants, or the Bible, because if you, if you start doing that in places where it's obvious to anyone who, who's thinking, that's not what God wants, then they start to doubt that you're actually doing anything that God wants when you say, God wants this, you know, you're just being you. Um, but I think for all of us, we just have to study the Bible, submit to the Spirit, at certain times we're under authorities that are wrongly applying the text, and we just follow it. So if you work for a Christian institution, and they say, um, the way we're applying the New Testament and loving other people is that you need to be wearing khakis every day instead of jeans. That's a misapplication of the text, but you should just wear khakis to your job every day. And you know in your heart, God wouldn't care if I wore khakis or jeans today. They're saying he does, but I'm just going to wear khakis. You know, So you sometimes just comply. Or, you know, for some of us, we have parents-in-law or parents who are just so convicted that God demands something that's not a true application of a text. We can, in our hearts, know God doesn't want this. And when we're around them, you don't have to do that thing. So, for example, some of you are convinced in your heart that God has no problem with you drinking wine with dinner, but your parents think wine with dinner would be like, Sending you to hell. When your parents come over for dinner, don't pull out a glass of wine and pour it and set it in front of their plate. You know what they think about this. Just love them. Love them in that way. Um, but then when they're not there, you can do that. You know. So we just we want to love, respect, prefer others above ourselves, um, and and live faithfully as we can. I hope that answers the question. Okay. Any, anything else before I go to a couple case studies? All right. Well, I'll, I'll make one more comment. Um, when we get to our sermons, I, I, Josh and I and whoever's preaching work hard to make good, careful application of the text. We try not to include applications that are really tangential. And if we do, we try to say it. We try to say, you know what, this is like, reaching a little bit, but there's at least maybe an implication. Uh, But there's a reason that when the scripture reader right before I'll come up to preach reads, we end with, this is the word of the Lord. And by the time when I finish my sermon, I don't say, this is the word of the Lord. Because we want to just be a little bit careful. We, We want to say we're trying to communicate God's word clearly and authoritatively, but at the same time, we're not God and we can make errors. All right. So case study number one, uh, Philippians 4.13. This is such a popular one and so abused that I thought I'll uh, reference it. If you want other good examples, there's a little book called The Most Misused Script Verses in the Bible or something like that. I think by a guy named Kyle Berggraff or something. I've got it upstairs if you want to borrow it. But this is one of the most misused, misapplied verses in the Bible. So why don't you turn to Philippians 4.13 so you can at least have the text in mind or in front of you. Unless you've got it memorized. But you might need to look at the broader context because that's the whole thing with interpretation. Um, If you started to read the broader letter of Philippians you would realize that Paul is in a circumstance where he's facing tough things because of his commitment to Christ. Um, and, and he was tempted, as many Christians are, to not be content, to be discontent, or to be unfaithful to Christ because of our circumstances. There, sometimes your decision to follow Jesus puts you in a hard spot. And Paul is trying to say that even when you're in that hard spot, when you're lacking things, um, you can still be content in Christ. You can still be faithful to Christ. And the reason you're able to be content and faithful is because Christ gives you strength. So I'm able to do all things, and in that context, namely, be faithful and content through him who strengthens me. So here's the original situation. Paul, a Christian, who's experiencing a variety of trying circumstances, is proclaiming that Christ gives you strength to be faithful and content. So what's the original application? So following this process. So you've interpreted the text. What's the original application? Well, the way Paul was applying these words to himself was, I'm going to be faithful and content wherever I am. Um, And how would he want his hearers to apply the text? Well, he would want them as well to be faithful and content in whatever circumstances they are. And he wants them to know, you did a good thing by making my situation easier. So when you see other Christians who are in hard spots, like Christ is enough for them, but also you can support them and aid them. That's why in verse 14, he said, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. So that's a good application. So the dual application be content and faithful, and help others, even though Christ is enough for them. Um, So what's a parallel situation today? Okay, let me give you a false parallel. A false parallel is the Christian sports team that's going out onto the basketball court, and in their huddle right before, the coach says, all right, team, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, including beating this awful public school we're facing today because we're Christians. And Christians are under attack by the public education system. That's a false parallel. It might seem like it's true, but it's not. But you know, And just a little bit of mind tinkering will help us. What about every Christian who's on that public school team that you're about to play? Can they say the same thing? Um, what about every other Christian school that you're playing? Can they say the same thing? Well, <laughs> It, that's just not the right application of the text. So when you see your favorite Christian athlete with 4'13 in the black on his cheekbones, that's a misapplication of the text. That's not a faithful Christian witness. That guy's making millions of dollars, win or lose, and he's probably still not content. Okay, so, so that's not it. Um, it's, it's also not when you're facing an opportunity for a job promotion and your unbelieving co worker is also up for that same job promotion. You can't claim I can get this job promotion instead of that unbeliever through Christ who strengthens me. Because I'll use my money to help support Resurrection Church, and that guy is just going to blow it on, I don't know, like a new car or something. So those are false parallels. Even though it might seem like, okay, you have a Christian who's facing a tough situation, therefore, God will give them strength in Christ to get what they want. So what are some true parallels? Um, Or or one more fault. Let me give one more false parallel that seems true. One more false parallel would be the guy who says, you know what, Christians need to evangelize. And um, I know God wants me to evangelize. But you know what, like evangelization takes time and I'm always at work. So I'm going to quit my job and become a street preacher and have a, like a little like bowl out in front of me for people to throw money t- into, and I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. I'll, I'll quit my job because I'm doing something for Jesus. That guy probably is going to think, I, I'm like Paul here. I'm, I'm just doing this. He's never talked to anyone. He's never gotten any confirmation from anybody outside of himself. I'd suggest that that's a false application of the text, even though it feels right to that guy. Does Jesus want him to stop caring for and supporting his family to stand on a street corner and speak into a bullhorn verses from the Bible? Maybe, but I don't think... So. In most situations, I want to say probably not. So that guy shouldn't be saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, including that. Um, that maybe happened in my family. <laughs> um, so so I. it's a situation that is real and out there among Christians. So let me give you a couple of genuine situations. Um, There is a family. The husband is working to provide for the family. The wife is at home with like three kids, more than the arms that she has. And these kids are crying all the time. They're frustrated. She's frustrated. But like, God has given her the gift of motherhood in these children and she's supposed to raise them according to the principles of scripture. But it's really hard when they're little hellions. Well, this this mom, I think, can say, man, I am a Christian in a tough situation trying to do what Christ wants me to do here. And I can be content with these kids, even though they're hellions. And I can be faithful, even though my kids are hellions, because Christ can give me strength to do it. I, I think that's a right application of the text. Okay, um, I, I think that the, the husband there, when when he is showing up to his job, and and um, his work, he's in HR, and his work says you now must uh, like teach this affirming of all kind of lifestyle thing, and and you need to in fact like promote this, and and you need to say all kinds of things that just would not be faithful to the way Christians should live. Um, I think this guy can have peace and contentment that God will provide and strengthen for him as he pursues a different line of work. Um, so so the, if he's a teacher in the public school system and they want him to start teaching the sex education course, that just has to do with all kinds of debauchery. He can faithfully and contentedly resign and pursue other options knowing that christ will strengthen him to do so and provide for him i I think that's a good application for that guy hey do you see how like it can be very specific but there are certain features that have to be there Um, facing a hard situation because of faithfulness to christ and what christ intends for that person to do not just what i want to do anyway does this make sense yeah, that's, that's excellent, Julie. Yeah, so you can imagine a conversation where the husband tells the wife, hey, look, the right application is you can do this because Christ will strengthen you to do it. I'm going to go uh, read my book, play Madden, work on the car. No, now the part of the application to him is, you know what, like, yeah, Christ will strengthen her, but God often brings other Christians into people's lives to, like, share in the hardship, to partner with them. And that's God's calling on me, is to be the partner here. Yeah, that's really good. That's why we need community when we're applying the text is because we get beyond just our narrow focus of what it means to, for me. Um, so we, we find the meaning of the text and then we identify how it can genuinely be meaningful in the way we live out our lives. All right. As we close here, I want to read one more quote from these guys, Duval and Hayes. Because sometimes when we talk about restricting application in the way that I've done it or, or tried to argue for, I think some people hear that and they're like, well, you're forcing me to think more about applying the Bible and I just want to instinctively apply it. You're, you're limiting the way that God's word can be active in my life. Um, these guys had gotten some of those responses, so this is their, their quote. Some of you might be concerned that this method will restrict your freedom to apply the scriptures. We remind you that as faithful readers— Our job is not to invent new meaning, but to apply the meaning that has been inscribed in the biblical text by the Spirit of God working through the biblical authors. Don't worry. You'll be able to find a number of parallel situations in your life or in your world that are true parallels. And when you find a genuine parallel, you can be confident that you are applying the real meaning of the biblical text. That's where we want to be, where we can live confidently in obedience to the Bible not sporadically and randomly trying to fit every verse into every part of our life. So hopefully this helps as you read the Bible to think about application. Hopefully it helps you track with the way we're applying the Bible from, from the pulpit. And um, ultimately, hopefully, you'll know God better, think, head. You'll love more rightly, affections, heart. And you'll live more appropriately, what we do. All right. Let me pray that this would be true for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can apply it and that you've given us your spirit to enable us to do as you've commanded. Help us to um, know your word and to respond appropriately. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks.